Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You got stuff you don't need to know? I'm Jay. Let's get down to it. I mean, ever since movies have been around, there have been sports movies. You had the Lou Gehrig story way back when, which was, you know, a, a pretty true account of the life and times of Yankee great Lou Gehrig. Uh, you know, you also had some fictional ones, too. Speaking of the Yankees, there was Damn Yankees, which was a Broadway musical and made into a movie. So, Movies and sports are very, very popular. Sports movies are very, very popular. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to look at the vast landscape of fictional athletes, and I'm going to give you my top 10. Now, here's the thing. Coming up with a top 10 was really, really difficult. I'm probably going to do a couple more lists like this, a couple more top 10s. Just looking over lists of fictional athletes, uh, you know, movie athletes, TV athletes uh, that are fictional, there was a lot, and a lot of them I really, really loved. So today I'm going to kind of give you my first top 10 fictional athletes, and here we go. All right, coming in at number 10, this was a movie that I saw when it came out uh, way back when, in the early 2000s, I believe, and uh, I, I mean, I just loved it. First of all, it's talking, it's dealing with sports, and second of all, you know, it, it was a lighthearted romantic comedy, I guess, uh, a coming-of-age tale, and just really how sports and traditional family values come together. So my number 10 fictional athlete is Jasminda Bamra from the movie Bend It Like Beckham. So, I mean, I really love this movie. It was a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, the character of Jess was, she was absolutely amazing. The actress, and I'm probably going to mispronounce her name, so I do apologize, Parminda Nadip. Nadeep, I am very, very sorry if I mispronounced that, but her character, Jess Bomro, I mean, you, you just fall in love with this girl. She's being raised by a traditional Sikh, you know, in a traditional Sikh family. Uh, you know, they want her, you know, the mom and dad want her to follow sort of like these rich and deep Sikh traditions. But she's a modern girl, you know, she wants to do, you know, she wants to be respectful of her family. She wants to be faithful to her family and faithful to her religion. Absolutely. But she also has a burning desire to play football or as we call it over here, soccer. Uh, pretty much like the title implies, Jess is a huge fan of David Beckham. Uh, at the time, he was still playing in England. He was still playing for uh, Manchester United. And all throughout the film, you know, she kind of has these one-sided conversations with him, you know, sort of not, I really don't want to say he was like an imaginary friend, but she would just have conversations about soccer. She would have conversations about her life, her family, and things like that. And like I said, I, I think I really loved this movie and I really love the character of Jess because, you know, it was showing that, yes, she was trying to fit in with her traditional family, but she was also trying to be her own person. And in the end, it absolutely worked out. She really stood up for herself and she didn't 
turn away. You know, she didn't turn away from her family. She didn't turn away from their values. She kind of showed them how those values that they raised her with and, and, you know, the ideals of her family and of her, of her religion, how they made her, you know, into the woman that she is, who was an excellent student, a very good daughter and a skilled soccer player. Uh, I read that Parminda, the actress that played her, did do a lot of soccer training. And, you know, a lot of the stuff she does in the film is her. Uh, you know, I think there are some body doubles or I don't know if you would call them sports doubles, maybe. And a little bit of, you know, creative CGI, you know, here and there, but all over. I mean, I think it was a really, really fun movie. And Jess was a great character. Moving right along, coming in at number nine. It's a golf movie and it's a, a golfing character. Uh, there's actually a few golf movies out there, believe it or not. But this one is, uh, I mean, I absolutely love this movie. And believe it or not, there's going to be not one, but two fictional golfers on my list from this movie. So the movie is Happy Gilmore. And I am talking about Happy Gilmore. He comes in at number nine. So. Before I talk about Happy Gilmore, let me just say one thing. Adam Sandler, he's very hit or miss with me. Some of his stuff I absolutely love. Some of his stuff I absolutely hate. And there's some of his movies and projects that kind of fall in between where I'm just like, eh? But Happy Gilmore was a movie I really, really loved. And the reason I loved it is, you know, yeah, he's silly in it. And, you know, the other character I'm going to be talking about, you know, you probably know who it is by now. But, you know, it's 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 over the top with the humor. But it's, it's that classic snobs versus slobs type of film, you know, that kind of harkens back to another great golfing comedy film, Caddyshack. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say that Happy Gilmore is better than Caddyshack. No, 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 no. Caddyshack is leaps and pounds above Happy Gilmore. Uh, in fact, I did a rewatch. I just wanted to make sure. So a few nights ago, I actually did a rewatch of Caddyshack. Uh, I'm still laughing my ass off. I mean, it's a great film. But, I mean, I love the character of Happy Gilmore. You know, he's just this hapless hockey player. I mean, that's the one thing about some Adam Sandler characters is, you know, they just never know when to quit. And, you know, Happy, he is convinced. He is convinced, even though he really can't skate, he is convinced that, you know, he is going to be a hockey player. And uh, when his grandmother gets in trouble, you know, he he realizes or he learns that he actually has the skill where he could drive a golf ball a tremendous distance because he's kind of using a hockey-style swing. Here's the thing that's pretty interesting. I'm not sure who the golfer was. I'm thinking it's Justin Leonard. He actually did a video where he... He did Happy Gilmore swing and he was able to do it and he was actually able to drive the ball pretty far with it. So now it wasn't just for the movies. I mean, I guess there's some science behind it. But like I said, I mean, you know, from just his his behavior on the golf course, uh, you know, his propensity for violence. I mean, just just see the fight between him and Bob Barker in a celebrity pro-am tournament. I just, I mean, again, I love this character because to me, golf, you know, and, and that's the thing is in a movie like Caddyshack and in a movie like Happy Gilmore, it's showing that, look, golf is really supposed to be like every other sport. It's supposed to be for everyone. It's not supposed to be for the super rich and the super snobbish. You know, if you have talent 
and you enjoy the game, you should be able to go out there and play it. Now, Happy Gilmore does not enjoy the game of golf, but you know he had a talent for it, so why not go out there and, and play the sport? And yeah, do it in your own way and do it in your own style. Uh, the fictional, I don't know if it was the PGA Tour in the movie, but the golf tour that he was on or the golfing organization that he belonged to, they actually loved it and embraced it because it brought in a whole new demographic. They got a ton of new sponsors with it. I mean, granted, nowadays, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, the antics of Happy Gilmore would really, really fly and some of the antics of his fans on the golf course would really, really fly. But I think what it was trying to show is, you know, by being over the top like it was, it was still trying to show that golf really should not be an elitist sport. And not for nothing, like I said, Snobs versus Slobs movies, I absolutely love them. You know, this, Caddyshack, Animal House, you know, give me a good movie like that, you know, and I love it. And like I said, coming in at number nine is my man, Happy Gilmore. All right, coming in at number eight, it's a pitcher. It's a baseball movie, and there's a ton of baseball movies out there. There's a ton of fictional baseball movies out there. This one, though, is is definitely a favorite of mine. It's a very predictable movie. I mean, you know what's going to happen in the end. You know they're gonna how they're gonna get there. You know, a lot of the characters are they fit certain cliches and everything, but still, it's a really good time and it's a really fun time. So, coming in at number eight is the wild thing himself, Ricky Vaughn from the movie Major League. You know, and what we get here in Rick Vaughn is first of all, we get a young Charlie Sheen, uh, really before he went off the deep end. You know, he really turns in a great performance here as Rick Vaughn, you know, this really kind of head case pitcher with, you know, an arm touched by the gods. I mean, he throws in the upper 90s. And of course, at the end, when he comes in and faces his nemesis, he strikes him out and throws. I think the last pitch he throws is like 101 miles an hour, which, you know, back when this movie came out, that was kind of like a, wow, that's, that's, that, that's amazing. A guy with an arm like that. Uh, we're kind of seeing that now. Uh, check Jacob deGrom. But I mean, I just love it. I, I just love the whole attitude. I love the haircut, though I would never get a haircut like that. And again, kind of like a happy Gilmore is, yeah, the guy's got a talent for baseball, but he's going to do it his way, you know, from, like I said, from his haircut uh, to the fact when they realize that, I mean, he can't see for crap and they get him a pair of like old man, I mean, the thickest glasses out there. After he goes out there and pitches a great game with these new glasses, he pretty much says, you know, I'm going to get a pair that's a little more me, which were jet black with like a skull and crossbones like emblazoned on them. You know, again, that's what I love. I love the fact that he was true to himself in this movie. Um, and again, Major League is a really good movie. Yeah, it's predictable. You know, you know they're going to win the division. The Cleveland, you know, they're going to go on this incredible run and uh, they're, they're going to take the division. You know it's going to happen, but you have so much fun getting there. Interesting, an interesting kind of little tidbit about this movie is, is if you ever seen the movie Major League, and I don't know if I should say spoiler alert, but if you ever seen the movie Major League, you know, you learn that the owner of the team, uh, this woman named Catherine, the reason she puts together sort of this team of misfits and oddballs is because she wants them to finish dead last. And I think there's a clause in a contract somewhere that says if overall attendance falls below a certain level, she will be able to sell the team, which is what she wants to do. She will, or not so much sell the team, 
She wants to relocate the team from Cleveland down to Miami or, you know, somewhere in Florida. So that's her goal, you know, is just to have a real crap team, a bunch of head cases, a bunch of misfits, and they're going to finish dead last and nobody's going to show up and she can move the team out of Cleveland. So, of course, once um, Lou Brown, the manager, once he is told that this is what happens, he basically uses that as motivation to to spur the team on as, you know, we can't, we can't let her win, you know, sort of a thing, you know, it's like, sort of this is our last season you know none of us are really supposed to be here you know let's 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 go out on a bang let's really stick it to her you know where this is going you know that they're going to pull it out that this impossible run and they're they're going to make it and win the division you know it's going to happen but like i said there's a lot of fun getting there and a, a big part of that fun is uh charlie sheen as rick vaughn so coming in at number seven this was probably one of the earliest sports movies that i ever saw and these characters because you know i gotta lump these guys together you know they're 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 a set you know i can't separate them like I said, this is one of the first sports movies that I saw. And at the time, I was probably like eight or nine when I saw it. And I saw it on HBO. I didn't quite get it. I liked it. There was uh, a lot of violence in it. it was, it's a hockey movie. So there's a lot of violence in it. Uh, again, a lot of the over t- over-the-top humor. But a lot of the subtleties of this movie, I, I didn't really get until I watched it again later on. So the movie, of course, is Slapshot. And if I'm talking about Slapshot, I mean, you know who's coming in here at number seven. And that's Steve, Jeff, and Jack, the Hanson brothers. Oh, my God. When these guys show up, I mean, I remember as a kid watching this movie. And you see these three skinny guys with long hair, thick glasses. Okay, coach. Yeah, coach. Okay, coach. I'm like, can these guys even skate? Like, this is this is, this is stupid. And then as soon as they get out on the ice, not only can they skate. I mean, again, much like a happy Gilmore. They just have such a propensity for violence. Uh, and they're over-the-top goofballs i mean they pretty much help reignite the charleston chiefs or the charlestown chiefs i should say and uh kind of spur them on to play a lot better and kind of adapt a whole new style of play i mean the Hanson brothers are pretty much synonymous with hockey movies and, and kind of hockey in general i remember i don't know how many years ago maybe about 10 years ago the home opener for the Jersey New Jersey Devils, they had the Hanson brothers come out. Even though they're in no way, shape, or form associated with the New Jersey Devils at all, it's hockey night. You got to have the Hansons there. I mean, they just go hand in hand. And like I said, Slapshot, great hockey movie. The Hanson brothers, I mean, you got to love them. Putting tinfoil on their fists and playing with slot cars, you know. I mean, that 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 was that was absolutely amazing. But one of my favorite scenes in the movie though is when um Paul Newman, who's the player coach, is, uh, you know, it's it's the final game of the season. It's like the championship game. And for most of the season, they've been playing like a bunch of goons. And he tries to motivate them to, you know, like, like let's play hockey with class. You know, old-time hockey, he says. You know, that's the way we got to do it. And the Hansons are sitting there going, yeah, old-time hockey. Eddie Shore. That's all they keep saying over and over again. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's its a silly little scene, but I just love old-time hockey coach, Eddie Shore. Like, that's all they keep saying. I absolutely love it. And, you know, the Hanson brothers coming in at number seven. So coming in at number six, I mean, this character, this movie uh, definitely ranks up there 
for me as a really great sports movie and more specifically a really great baseball movie i'm just gonna say it it's crash davis from bull durham and that's the thing is you know between this and uh, field of dreams kevin costner is kind of becomes synonymous with baseball and he's actually also kind of becomes synonymous with sports movies i mean he did i mean he did he did bull durham he did field of dreams he did tin cup which in the movie tin cup if you ever watched it you know he's a golfer it's a slobs versus snobs kind of you know golf movie there in it the reason his character there got the nickname tin cup is he was a catcher in high school and uh, it was like the high school pitcher had this amazing arm, but he had a really lousy curve ball that would kind of fall short of the plate. So they said, you know, it would kind of basically make it a reference to the fact that he, you know, he had to wear a tin cup uh, to kind of protect the family jewels there. But it was definitely a reference to him playing Crash Davis in the movie Bull Durham. Uh, he was in the movie Draft Day. He was in another one of these. I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. I'm sure somebody out there will remember it. Where he was a pitcher and then uh, he never really made it to the major leagues. So he became a high school teacher. And then he's like pitching in like a summer league or something. He still has a pretty good arm. And next thing you know, he's a relief pitcher in the major leagues. Uh, there was the other one too, where he was the coach for a cross country team. I believe uh, all the runners they were either Native American or Hispanic. But I mean, Kevin Costner's done a ton of sports movies. But you know, this one, well, no, Field of Dreams is definitely my favorite film. But Crash Davis is my favorite Kevin Costner character in any of these sports movies so who is crash davis crash davis is pretty much a lifelong major leaguer uh he does pretty much say he had you know what they say is a cup of coffee in the major leagues like he was called up i think for 21 days and and that's the thing is a lot of these young guys kind of scoff at that when he says that like you know yeah you know i played 21 days in the major leagues but then he tells them what it's like you know he's like you never have to carry your bags you know you sleep in the best hotel rooms he's like he's like hey you know those really nice white game day baseballs that we play with that's what they use for batting practice up in the majors, you know? So, yeah, I was there for 21 days, but it was 21 days of pure heaven. And Crash is called in to the Durham Bulls because they have a young pitcher. And, okay, when I saw this film, you know, Tim Robbins is this young pitcher. I mean, to me, he actually looked older than Kevin Costner. I'm like, wait a minute. He's supposed to be some, like, 20-something-year-old rookie? I mean, the guy looks like he's 40. But he's basically, again, he's almost kind of like a Rick Vaughn, you know, million-dollar arm with a 10-cent head, which I think is what Crash Davis did say about him. And they want a season catcher to kind of mentor him and bring him along. And Crash does that. And he does it in his own unique way with some pretty crazy lessons. I think what one of the best ones is, is he goes out to the mound and he's trying to settle down uh, Nuke. That's the pitcher. He's trying to set, he's trying to set, uh, settle down Nuke. And, you know, he's, he's kind of giving him the business a little bit. And he says, and he tells him, you know, stop trying to, you know, stop trying to strike everybody out. Throw some, throw some pop-ups, throw some grounders. He's, and, and he, he ends it with, strikeouts are fascist. I mean, I, I just, 
the view that that Crash Davis has of life and he has of baseball are very, very unique. And that's why I got to put this guy on my list. Coming in at number five is a dynamic duo. So I believe this is the first basketball movie on my list here, and it is a good one. So from the movie, White Men Can't Jump, Can't Separate These Guys. Again, they're a package deal. We get Sidney Dean and Billy Hoyle, played by Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. First of all, one of my favorite basketball films of all time. Yeah, you know, Hoosiers is a really good film, and I did enjoy it. Gene Hackman does an amazing job in that movie. Uh, as a kid, I do remember seeing Dr. J in a film called The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Very, very funny film. Very, very hard to find, but if you can find it, definitely check it out. I mean, it's it's just a classic movie. But White Men Can't Jump, again, it's not just about basketball. It's about life and basketball and these two guys you know Sydney and Billy I mean they 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 just go so great together even though half the time they want to kill each other uh Billy Hoyle is pretty much you know he played college he was kind of on his way to maybe you know doing some semi-pro could he go pro sort of a thing but the thing is Guy's got a huge ego on him. Uh, he got in a little deep with, uh, you know, some low-level mobsters. They asked him to throw a game, but he was way too proud to do that. He did not throw the game, and he ended up, you know, he's being chased down by a couple of, of mob guys with, you know, him and his girlfriend, plays by played by Rosie Perez. And um, they pretty much go around the country hustling basketball. And Rosie Perez is just waiting for her big break to get on Jeopardy because, you know, she is like a trivia queen. I mean, she studies trivia all the time. And when she finally does get on the show, except for sports because she knows absolutely nothing about sports, I mean, she knocks it dead. I mean, she's going to be your Jeopardy champion there, you know, you know, back then you could only be champion for five days and then that was it. She was going to be a five-day champion, no problem at all. But Billy is, is a basketball hustler, as is Sidney Dean. Sidney Dean is a basketball hustler, you know, and, and out here in Southern California, Sidney is the guy that kind of rules the courts, you know. He runs his mouth, but he's got the game to back it up. But he falls for Billy's trap, you know. He kind of sees Billy as a yokel and he doesn't take him serious at all and Billy ends up hustling him. Sydney can't take that. He tries to get him back. And, you know, again, conflict just ensues between the two of them. And then Rosie Perez and uh, I do not know the actress that played um, Sydney's wife. The two of them kind of formulate a plan that like, look, the two of you are going to work together. You're going to hustle together. And that's the thing is, is alone. These guys are great basketball players and they're great basketball hustlers. But together, they are legends, and that's why they're on the list. So coming in at number four, it's another baseball movie. And again, this this film is, is really near and dear to my heart. So coming in at number four is Dottie Hinson from A League of Their Own. Now, A League of Their Own is based on, you know, the Women's Professional Baseball League that was instilled or, you know, was set up during World War II when the men were away and a lot of major league players were away. America did not want baseball to die, so some very wealthy investors got together and said, well, the guys that are left here, the guys that are working the factory, either you know they're unable to go fight or they're too old to go fight, well, what do they love? Well, they love baseball, and they love girls. Girls baseball, there you go. 
So League of Their Own is pretty much, you know, a semi-fictional take on, you know, women's professional baseball during World War II. Now, there is no Dottie Henson. You know, she did not exist. She's kind of an amalgamation of a few different women. But Gina Davis plays her expertly. You know, again, she's this phenom. Uh, You know, she is definitely the athlete in the family. Uh, Her younger sister, Kit, played by Lori Petty, who does an amazing, amazing job. The two of them play like on their dairies, like in a dairy league softball league and uh john lovitz plays a scout who goes around and finds them and again you know it's a little bit part but john lovitz you know he's a guy that sometimes he can go over the top he does it just right as the scout that goes around you know looking for women to play and again look this is an all-star cast you have gina davis you have tom hanks you have madonna you have um i was about to say rosie perez rosie o'donnell wrong rosie and uh i mean like i said it's a really, really great cast. Bill Pullman shows up. Uh, he's Dottie's husband. And it's also a really good baseball film. And I, I mean, I just thoroughly enjoy it. And, you know, Dottie Henson, again, she's this phenom baseball player. She didn't want to be there. The only reason she was there is because her sister Kit really wanted to go. But if Dottie didn't go, Kit couldn't go. And she kind of becomes the reluctant face of the league because she is very, very talented and she's very, very beautiful. So that means she's very marketable. So she kind of very reluctantly steps into the role of being the face of women's professional baseball. And even though she only plays one season because her husband does come back from the war, it is a memorable season. It's a memorable role. And that's why Dottie Hinson is on my list. We are up to the top three. So if you remember way, way back on my list, I talked about the film Happy Gilmore and I said another character is going to show up. So here he is coming in at number three is probably one of the, you know, just smarminess, just ill-tempered, just I mean, he's a son of a bitch, but I love him to death. And that is Shooter McGavin. I mean, Shooter McGavin is the perfect foil to Happy Gilmore. You know, you got Happy Gilmore, trash talking, starting fights, doesn't even want to be there, and just happens to be gifted with the ability to drive a golf ball, you know, 500 yards. Shooter McGavin is like, you know, like I said, Happy Gilmore is a slobs versus snobs film. You know, Happy Gilmore is a slob. Well, here's your snob. Shooter McGavin. He is the perfect golf snob out there. I mean, Shooter McGavin could have shown up in the movie Caddyshack. That's how obnoxious this guy is. I mean, with a little finger gun, like when he, when he hits his putt, the little finger gun. Just some of the stuff he says, you know, the threats that he makes towards Happy. The fact, I mean, the fact that Happy Gilmore is challenging his popularity and could actually win uh, the gold jacket uh, over in, you know, the PGA. If you win the Masters, you get the green jacket. I guess in, in this fictional golf organization, it's the gold jacket. So he sees Happy as, first he sees him as an annoyance, then he sees him as a legitimate rival. I mean... Tries to have him killed just about. I mean, that's how much of an ass that Shooter McGavin is. But like I said, I you know it's it it's played perfectly, and that's why Shooter McGavin is on my list. So we're down to the top two, and these two guys. I mean, they're in the same franchise, and they and and honestly, you know, you you could flip them around one, two, two, one. So I'm just gonna lump them kind of together here. Coming in at number two is. From the Rocky series, the Rocky franchise is Apollo Creed. So, of course, my number one 
is Rocky Balboa. But I want to talk about the two of them together. Because really, you know, I mean, the Rocky franchise has really blossomed out from that first movie about an underdog fighter from Philadelphia who's given a chance in a lifetime, not expected to do much with it, and pretty much takes the world champ Apollo Creed the distance, something that had never been done. Nobody had ever gone the distance with Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed has knocked everybody out. Rocky with heart a granite chin and a killer left hook took the champ to the brink and he lost but barely lost but he won the hearts and he won the respect of all of Philadelphia and boxing fans worldwide Apollo Creed is I mean he's obviously based off of Muhammad Ali but I feel he's he's so much more than like a Muhammad Ali clone I mean He's brash, and again, he's brash, he's a trash talker, but he has definitely got the skills to back it up, you know, and the relationship between he and Rocky goes from uh, just some chump that he picked out really as a publicity stunt, uh, because what was supposed to happen is he's supposed to be fighting in Philadelphia, you know, world championship fight, the guy he's supposed to fight, a a top contender, has, has an injury in training, and they don't know what to do. They're they're trying to scramble, like you know, who we who are we gonna you know fights only a few weeks away. Who are we gonna get to to step in? No top fighter with a few weeks' notice is is gonna fight Apollo Creed. I mean, it's it's absolute suicide. So Apollo Creed sees it as an, a marketing opportunity. It's like Philadelphia, you know, the land of the land of brotherly love, and. Um, he basically kind of says, like, you know, the cradle of the nation, the cradle of independence, you know, and he says what he's going to do is he's going to come in and he's going to give some local guy his shot at the at the title. So they kind of go looking through the books of, like, local club boxers and, and they're, like, throwing some names out and he sees it. Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion. And to quote Apollo Creed, who discovered this country? The Italians. Um, he just says it's absolutely perfect. You know, this is this is the greatest. You know, he he's turning it an absolute disaster into a marketing gem. His his trainer is not that thrilled about it. He's like, you know, guys of Southpaw don't really like fighting Southpaws. We don't know anything about this guy. And, you know, Apollo's like, look at his record. The guy's a chump. Don't even worry about it. And we know what happens. You know, yes, Rocky loses the fight, but he takes him the distance and he gives Apollo the fight of his life. Rocky 2 comes along and Apollo wants him. He wants Rocky bad. He wants to prove the doubters wrong. He wants to show that what happened in that first fight was an absolute fluke. He is going to take Rocky and he's going to put him down one, two, three. And we all know how that turned out, you know. Great film. I think in, in in the franchise, Rocky II is probably one of my favorite films. But from there, like I said, the series kind of blossomed out. Apollo pretty much lasts up until uh, Rocky IV when I, uh, Ivan Drago kills him in the ring. But I think what's really critical here is if you look at Rocky III, when Clubber Lang comes in, Mr. T comes in uh, as Clubber Lang, and totally dominates Rocky and takes the title away from him. And pretty much, you know, you think pretty much ends his career apollo comes in going look you beat me i gotta live with that he goes but i saw that fight your heart wasn't in it you know you could do better than this rock you know and and that's the thing he in apollo's eyes rocky goes from a chump to a hated rival 
to a respected, you know, it's weird to say colleague, but, you know, he kind of goes to a respected colleague and he actually ends up training Rocky as the series goes forward and then kind of spills over into the Creed franchise. You know, we see Rocky returning the favor in training Apollo's son, Adonis, Adonis Creed. And, you, you know, the, the movies go from there. But these two guys are some of the best fictional athletes in all of cinematic history. The charisma that Carl Weathers has as Apollo Creed, the master of disaster, the king of sting, the count of Monte Fisto. I mean, the nicknames for this guy and just the absolute charm that he has. I mean, I honestly thought after watching, you know, those first few Rocky films, I was like, Carl Weathers is going to be a star. I mean, Action Jackson is really not that bad of a movie. He turns up in Predator, then he kind of disappeared for a while. You know, he came back playing himself on Arrested Development. Now he's getting a big career resurgence, you know, in The Mandalorian. But I really think it's a shame. I really think he could have done a lot better. You know, he he definitely, to me, I think he had a lot of leading man qualities, but you know, I'm not a Hollywood exec. What do I know? And Sylvester Stallone's most famous character, I mean, Rocky Balboa. He created him. You know, he 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 wrote those films. He nurtured this character. He brought him along. Uh, he kind of lost his way in Rocky Five there, but he definitely redeemed himself with Rocky Balboa. I mean, he he is Sylvester Stallone is always going to be see. I mean, some people may see him as Rambo and, you know, see him as, as a few other things. I, I don't know if you're going to see him as Cobra because that was a god awful movie. But, you know, to me, I look at Sylvester Stallone. He is Rocky Balboa. And to go from this underdog that absolutely nobody had faith in. I mean, in that first film. You know, he's training at Mickey's gym. Uh, Mickey, you know, played by Burgess Meredith. I mean, Mickey thought he was a bum. It didn't want anything to do with him until he got that title shot, you know. And Rocky very easily could have, you know, and Rocky was saying to him, it's like, you know, oh, you're, you know, I'm getting this shot. Now Now you want a piece of me. Now you want to be my friend. Now you want to be my, my mentor, my, my coach. You know, where were you when I really needed you? Now that I have a, a payday, now you're here. But, you know, Rocky puts that anger aside and he realizes that he does need Mickey and Mickey is very valuable and Mickey becomes a very valuable character you know throughout the franchise um even even past his death in Rocky 3 yeah he kind of shows up in 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 Rocky 5 uh in flashbacks to motivate him but uh you know it is what it is but I mean Rocky is just an amazing character uh, all throughout this this series. You know, humble beginnings. He doesn't really let the wealth and fame get to him because pretty much when he loses it all in Rocky Five, uh, you know, uh, Paulie signs some papers giving uh, an accountant power of attorney, and he pretty much robbed Rocky blind. You know, Rocky isn't that bitter about it. You know, he's able to go back to the old Philadelphia neighborhood and fit right in. And when we see him in Rocky Balboa and we see him in the first Creed movie, 
you know, that's exactly what he's doing. And, you know, again, no bitterness about it or anything. I mean, he pretty much throughout that franchise stays a pretty humble guy. And, you know, I, and I think it's amazing. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. Post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys later.